0: Welcome to Unexpressed, where we put words to the inexpressible. My name is David White, and I'm the publisher at Whitefire. Over the years, I've had the privilege and opportunity to work with some really amazing people, very talented authors mostly, who have a unique view of the world. Our focus has been on the things that are important and challenging, viewed through the lens of storytelling. Our readers and our listeners are a part of that process. So if you're like us, and you're looking for a podcast that would challenge you, and encourage you to challenge yourself you've come to the right place. Today's guest is Laura Lee Bliss, and this is a crossover episode with her brand new podcast, Blissful Hiking Adventures, also on the White Fire Podcast Network. Her non-fiction work includes Mountains, Madness, and Miracles, 4,000 Miles Along the Appalachian Trail, and Gators, Got Some Glory, Adventures Along the Florida Trail. Not only will these books give you a view into the life of a hiker and backpacker, but also some insights in how hiking connect you with God, history, and believe it or not, other people. All right, so today I'm on with Laura Lee Bliss, author of uh, quite a few books, but particularly two with us. Um, I'm gonna get the titles wrong because they have these great alliterated titles. So, Laura Lee, maybe you can help me out with uh, with that. I don't wanna I don't wanna stumble over them over them too much.
1: Absolutely. We've got Mountains, Madness, and Miracles, 4,000 Miles Along the Appalachian Trail is book one of my hiking adventure series. And then, of course, if once and twice isn't enough, I had to go on another journey on the Florida Trail in Gators, Guts, and Glory, Adventures Along the Florida Trail.
0: Awesome. I actually will come out and just admit right now I haven't had a chance to pick up the second one yet. Uh, I've gotten... So busy with editing other things, and everyone tells me it's great. So maybe you can tell. Start by telling me a little bit about that one. So we're
1: gonna we're gonna start with book two, Gators, Guts, and Glory. And um, that particular journey came because I did my first journey, which is the Appalachian Trail, and I wanted to do something that everybody does and enjoys. And it was a dream of mine for a long time to do it, which I did. And then suddenly, as we're journeying down to Florida to look at the beautiful beaches and to look at all that Florida is known for, I see this little trail meandering through there called the Florida Trail. And of course, being a hiker, I said, hmm, nobody really knows about it. Everybody knows about, okay, the Gulf or the Walt Disney World or beaching or whatever. What is it like to actually Hike in the Florida wilderness. So, I put on my adventure spirit and said, "I'm going to go do this do this trail." And so, Gators Guts and Glory is my 1,100 mile journey from the Everglades area in southern Florida, west of Miami, all the way up around Orlando, and then through the Panhandle, exiting out at um, the islands there near Pensacola. So you end up at a beach at Fort Pickens. So it's quite an adventure.
0: So how did that then compare to the Appalachian Trail? I'm sure you talk about this a little bit in the book, but they seem like really different things, right? I mean, a lot of the Appalachian Trail is is up north and where it's colder. And for anyone who doesn't know, most people don't do the Appalachian Trail as one... like They don't just start at one end and then walk until they get to the other end. They usually do it in pieces. I mean, maybe not usually. I I don't know what the, Mm -hmm. the percentage is, but... It seemed to me based on reading yours and reading around that most people take it in pieces. So um, I guess most people don't choose to be in Maine in the winter time. Um, it's probably foolish. but so did you find anything like more challenging in Florida or different down there than, than you were expecting?
1: Yeah, um, the Appalachian Trail, a lot of people know about just because it's located near our most populous parts of the country. You know, you're near Baltimore, Washington, D.C. and like that. So people want to go out and just enjoy a day hike or like that. Some like to do the entire trail in one fell swoop. So we'll do the whole thing. So it's actually much more well known. So when I look at something like the Florida Trail, of course, as I mentioned, nobody's thinking about hiking in a Florida wilderness. So they're not anticipating that. So, and, you know, for a regular hiker, you're also looking at elevation. In the Appalachian Trail, you've got some good mountains that you're going up and over. You've got mountain streams, you've got mountain views, you know, you have all that. But down in Florida, you have basically a flat trail. I mean, the highest elevation is a little over 200 feet. and That's not much. And, <laughs> and you've got, you know, the inherent flora and fauna of a southern state, actually. So you're seeing a whole different aspect, actually, in the United States that is actually not that far away from all those big cities that gives you a different perspective, actually, of our nation, you know, and hiking in palm trees and camping under them. It's just a fabulous, unique experience. And you don't have to fly to Tahiti to do it or Hawaii or whatever. You can do it in Florida. So it's kind of neat. Um, especially yeah, that for actually hikers, sounds pretty so. awesome.
0: I mean, yeah. it, almost a, a hiking vacation. Uh, well, hiking vacation, may, what I could sort of mean is, if you're a hiker, that would, could be a vacation while still doing what you really like, as opposed to some of the really hard, intense stuff. Like, I, I don't know, maybe this has become more popular, but I seem to be seeing more of it. Like, there's a, apparently a really long trail in, like, Canada or something, like, all the way from from one coast of Canada to the other, or maybe that was... Uh, I don't yeah, know. If you, actually, have... That just
1: came out. Yeah, actually, that's. I thought that was really new. new. Like yeah, that. yeah. So, um, but the only that thing sounds like the, a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, the only thing with the Florida Trail though is it's not just a walk in paradise for a hiker, but you actually start out in a swamp. So you're starting out walking in water, which you know our Lord did it, but you get to do it too. You know, walk in water for a couple days and you know camp in it. You have a little higher pitched land that you camp in. So, you know, above the water. So you do have that experience because Florida being low elevation is a lot of swamp land. So you do walk in swamps. There's more road walking than normal on the Appalachian Trail. They've got most of that off the roads They're endeavoring to do that in Florida. But you still have road walks, which doesn't necessarily mean it's all bad. Some of it could be kind of tough, but some of it you get to meet people out there, too. You know, I met a lot of interesting folks as I was road walking and, you know, and, Actually, I think we'll explore this more um, on some of the things that I learned as a hiker, you know, what really counts out there on a trail. But um, so it gives you a different perspective and I enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, I think that who you meet, and like I say, we'll probably touch on that more, but who you meet Mm -hmm. was one of the things that really got me interested and convinced me uh, early on when we were looking at publishing your first book that this is a real story, right? Like just just a story about somebody going and, you know, finding themselves on a hike or something like that wasn't quite interesting to me. But once you talk about putting your your family in, because in, you did the, the Appalachian Trail with your son mostly, if I recall correctly, right? It's been a little while since I read that.
1: Right. Yeah. Um, we, we did it northbound with my son. I've done it both north and south. So the northbound venture, yeah, we did it together as a mom-son team. And just having, then, you know, and the book shares his perspective from a teenager point of view, and that's always interesting. What does a teenager think of hiking with his mom? It's kind of interesting. It's kind of fun.
0: Yeah, I'm but. not sure I would sign up for that, <laughs> you know, as much as you love your mother. Uh, and universally, I think most of us would go, I don't know that I would want to spend that much time in that sort of setting like that. But it's it's pretty remarkable, the, the story that, that gets told. But also then the people that you meet and how everyone relates to everyone. I mean, it is a story. It's not just a series of of here's, here's what the hike is like. Um, you know, it, it, I guess not your traditional nonfiction in, in an awful, awful lot of ways. So to try to um, broaden out for a second and give some perspective and just because this is something I'm interested in, how did you start uh, hiking and, and why did you decide to write about that? Because uh, for those who are listening that might know Laura Lee is a hiker, because that's what your blogs focus on, what you, most of your your sort of public social media perspective or persona is, is all about the hiking. You're also a, uh, I would say, not unprolific fiction writer. So <laughs>
1: um,
0: h- how did you pick up hiking and has that always been something you've done and, and why did you decide to write about that in the way you did?
1: Well, I grew up hiking. You know, I lived in the Catskills of New York. I had a mountain in my backyard. And so mountains was a part of my growing up. And one thing we did as a family is we did a lot of traveling. And we would go down to Shenandoah National Park, which is actually in my backyard, practically. And we do walks and hikes with rangers and just do our own walks. And that's where I found out about the Appalachian Trail. I was probably about 11 or 12 years old. And was fascinated when the ranger told me that this trail goes all the way from Maine to Georgia. And I'm like, wow, people, you could walk that. You don't have to get into a car. You don't have to go in an RV or whatever. You can just walk this. And so I couldn't believe it. You know, I said, wow, it's something I just want to do. want to do something different. So um, I've always liked to hike. I did hikes with my dad. We do the big peak in the Catskills called Slide Mountain. So hiking was just Kind of a part of me. I like the adventure of it, but I never had done any real backpacking, which is putting that backpack on, carrying all your essentials, and camping overnight. I had not really done much of any of that. I did strictly all day hikes, but in order to fulfill my dream of wanting to hike this Appalachian trail that went from Maine to Georgia, that would require overnighting and like that. So that is something I really didn't delve into, though, until I, you know, grew up, became an adult and started to think of more and more about doing this whole trail that I've wanted to do since I
0: was basically about 13. So. Yeah. So why did you come to it? Well, I mean, why did you come to it so much uh, later in life? I mean, you have a, a teenage son that that you did the, the whole thing with, um, you know, so, usually that's when people start thinking about settling down and well, moving to Florida, not hiking Florida. So,
1: right. Well, <laughs> that's good too. Um, yeah. I mean, life's journey kind of will interfere, or maybe it's, you know, God's plan. Is it this is the time to fulfill what He wants you to do? And a lot of times He just wants you to experience other things of life before you then go into the next big thing of life, you know? So, for me, it was I did nursing for a few years. I got married and then got married, had my son, you know, very quickly, you know, and decided to homeschool him. So I spent a lot of that time homeschooling. And as I did that, that's when I actually churned up that creative juices and started doing my fiction writing. So I published my first book back in 1997. He was um, seven years old then. So and I was continuing to work on that. But in the back, because especially since we would go out on hikes up in Shenandoah, near where we live in the back still, you know, churn that dream of wanting to do um, this big long trail called the Appalachian Trail. And I remember telling my husband back when our son was three years old, I said, one day he and I are going to go do this trail. And he kind of looked at me like, yeah, right. You know, that's not going to happen. And I'm like, you're going to need to learn more about me because when I have my mind set on something, you know, I'm a goal driven person. And that's just something I wanted to do. And I realized that God also puts those dreams and goals in our lives, you know, that he wants us to fulfill. And I believe that it was, you know, part of his plan for me that I would go out and do these big trails and I did, went for it. So. Well,
0: I, but I find that sort of remarkable and maybe it shouldn't be, but like most people talk about the things they always want to do and, you know, that that's why the word regret was invented, I feel like in some yeah. ways, right? Like oh, well. People just go, oh, I would love to and then they just never do. Like I meet people who say, Oh, I'd love to travel, you know, to Paris just to pick a, a sort of cliche example. I said, Well, do you have a passport? And they go, Well, no. I was like, well, that's an easy first step, right? Like, you know, if you want to hike the Appalachian Trail, well maybe do like I think if I recall correctly, you did. You know, you do a few day hikes, you do you take it in pieces and you you figure out, all right, how do I how do I pull off and do this? So uh, it back to what you were saying about the um the sort of backpacking part of the thing what i'm always surprised by is you know how do you carry enough stuff i, I know that's a, a sort of really practical simple way but you know we need a lot of things like water and uh the georgia to maine is an awful awful long way so so just how, how do you manage some of that practicality
1: yeah absolutely there's a lot of you know, planning that goes into, you know, a trip like this, especially if you're taking it with your son, you know? So um, that's one thing I did for actually a couple of years. And I know there are hikers out there that believe it or not, will say, especially some of the single folks, they'll be like, Oh, I'm going to go take a walk. And in two weeks, they're out there, you know, that's not me, especially if you've got a young guy with you. So I spent a couple years just learning from other hikers. I would join some hiker forums online, learn what they did. Um, I would read journals. They have a trail journal site that you could read about what other people have done. And um, just start understanding what it means to hike. And then, of course, backpacking. I did a couple little trips of backpacking before we went on our big trip. So you would learn what you take, what works, what doesn't work. You have a guidebook with you that tells you where those water sources are, where the towns are, that you would go into town and pick up food that you need. Or if you don't have that, you can mail them, mail food, that is, to these areas, too, and just pick up what they call mail drops. So you have boxes of food or supplies waiting for you. So, um, But it takes, it takes a lot. And sometimes you find out this isn't going to work. And you try something else. And I'm still doing that, even though I've hiked almost 10,000 miles, I would say career miles now, um, doing this for so long. So, you know, you still learn in all different situations. And um, it helps, I believe, too, that I'm a praying person. And when something's not working out, I'll ask God, okay, now what do I do? (laughs) Because that's really what happens. You're out there and you're like, and that's probably not something else we can touch on too later, but... Oh, we can touch on it now if
0: you want. Okay. I, I, I guess I was going to ask, so feel free to elaborate.
1: Sure. Um, well, I think, uh, one of the questions that, um, I was thinking to myself is, um, Hey, you know, are you ever scared when you're out there? You know, I get a lot of people that ask me that, you know, um, it can be a scary thing. You know, there's bears or there's alligators or alligators. Yeah. Or things like that. So, or frankly,
0: like you could fall down and no one could come by for quite a while. As...
1: Uh yes. Um, I actually talk about that in my Gator's Guts and Glory where I was at one trail shelter and believe it or not, I was choking.
0: I was choking
1: on this uh dried tomato that was just lodged in my throat and I couldn't breathe. And I'm I knew like, tomatoes are oh bad for you. <laughs> so <laughs> so it's there and it's lodged in my throat and I'm not you know, and I'm like You know, thankfully, I have a nursing background, and I knew to just, you know, actually just put my fingers in my throat and pull that thing out. But it was scary because I was by myself; there was nobody around. They wouldn't have found me. I they would have said, you know, she died from choking on a sun-dried tomato. You know, so I talk about this experience, which is actually a frightening experience in my book. um, That here you are out there, you know. But for me, as a hiker, I believe wholeheartedly. I am not alone. I'm never alone. I'm okay, even if there's nobody in present. And I have had, you know, so many miraculous things happen when I'm out in my journeys that I can say for sure that, no, I'm not alone, even if I'm crossing a swollen stream, or I'm trying to negotiate a ladder that's going up a steep cliff face, and I think I'm going to fall 100 feet if I miss the rung, which happened in Maine in the Appalachian Trail, you know, that could happen. That didn't happen to me, but could happen. So, yeah, I mean, (laughs) it can be very scary, but um, you learn that out there, you know, um, yeah, you're vulnerable, you know, and just like life. I mean, you're hearing in the news now that, you know, you could be doing just a a certain thing and suddenly life changes and either, you know, you're injured or you even die, you know. And so this is why everything that I think of is based on my relationship with the Lord and that I'm not going to worry about things that he has control over, you know, I'm just going to do and walk this path he has before me.
0: So yeah, that's, that's really remarkable way to think about it because life really, whether you're walking on the Appalachian or Florida trail or any other trail or any other sort of what most people would consider slightly unusual or crazy thing is, uh, Life is just as uh, as unusual and crazy. Like my uh, wife's grandmother uh, was, I guess, a little bit sick over in the fall, and she's in her 80s, and she was thinking, "Oh well, you know, maybe this could be it, and you know, something's going to happen to me." And you know, she's she's better now, but um, I said, "Look, any of us could walk outside tomorrow and get hit by a car because we didn't look both ways. Like it's mm-hmm. life is hard and complicated." Uh, You know, you could get, you know, young people get cancer. You know, my uh, uh, sister-in-law in in her late 30s had cancer. I mean, these things happen. So God's always with you. That's uh, the most important thing. But I think people don't always realize it. And I wonder if doing the kinds of things like you do puts, puts a finer point on that. Like, if you're just walking up and down the steps, like, To take a silly example, like most people are injured in the home, but we don't ever think about it because you're in the home, right? That's where we Mm -hmm. spend all of our time. So I don't know. I'm trying to figure out if there's a a question there that says when you're doing the the slightly crazy thing, uh, by the way, other people are looking at it. Does that make you have more understanding of the fact that God is there, even though He always is? Or well, actually,
1: that's kind of one of the questions I was. thinking about because I've had people tell me that is absolutely ridiculous. In fact, we were hiking, my son and I on the AT, I call it the AT, which is the Appalachian Trail, the hikers know as the AT. But we were in New Jersey, and we had stopped at this uh, town to get our supply box at the the, uh, post office. And um, the mayor came up and he started to do kind of like that crazy signal you get around your head, where it's spinning. And he says, you guys are just crazy to be doing this, you know, out there for so long and doing so many miles. And so I'll get people to say, why are you doing such a crazy thing or ridiculous thing? You know, it just seems so out of the ordinary and so strange. And I was actually, thinking I don't about think that, that, I
0: don't think that you're crazy. I just am trying to, <laughs> to say what I think an awful lot of people think when they hear you say things like that, or that you do things like that. Uh, I think they, they put it in there with, you know, jumping out of airplanes or, uh, you know, those people who ski down sheer mountains or something. So I didn't mean to interrupt it. Yeah. So, so no, I don't think like like the New Jersey mayor does.
1: Well, you know, what I, what I wrote is, you know, why not do something crazy? Why not do something unique? You know, we want to do things or at least I do that maybe nobody else has done, you know, why not? you know, do one of that one in a million experience, you know, I mean, make life count for all it's worth, you know, because this is the life God's given to you. So, and you know what, it made me realize too, that God can use even the crazy people, you know, even the ones that have these wild ideas or do these wild things, because it just shows the magnificence of his nature. It shows that he's not just, okay, one kind of God, but he is a God for everybody even with their wild interesting ideas and the things that they do and he can use that too
0: you know well, so i think i wonder if he tends to use the crazy wild-eyed people even more than your reserved <laughs> regular people like the good reserved regular people that go to work every day and you know show up for church right on time um, but never really step out of their comfort zone i mean god's for them too but if you're always stepping out of your comfort zone, you're always ready to answer whatever what might seem like a crazy call God might have for you. I mean, in some ways, you're a writer, so you've got to have a little bit of a crazy spirit. Because I, I just was encouraging someone this week who um, was actually a screenwriter and director, so not not a novelist entirely, but basically all of her family says you're not ready, you can't do it. Maybe you need to do more of this or that. You know, get a real job. That mm-hmm. those kind of kind of advice or that kind of advice, so I find it interesting that, or maybe it's not a surprise would be a way to put it that you went from uh, a nursing background to being a writer to oh well maybe I'll do this even slightly uh, more uh, exotic thing of of the sort of the through hiking I mean you know everybody enjoys a nice walk in the woods sometimes uh, I think, <laughs> but. Where, where was I going with that? Oh, Maybe I was just talking and you can just stop me anytime, but just that God likes to use people who are ready to do slightly unusual, out-of-the-ordinary things.
1: Well, look at the Bible. I mean, look at who he called and what the kind of the wild things they did. I mean, the disciples were actually sojourners. They just, you know, walked from place to place sharing good things, you know. They were doing a lot of walking back then, and they did some wild stuff. they challenged. They did miracles. They got themselves out of a small box. They've placed themselves in to do wild things also for God. So, um, you know, That's one thing that I actually talk to hikers about is they'll go out and do a trail and then they'll go back at home into their cocoon and do nothing with it. And one thing I decided to do absolutely is there's no way I'm going to go through all these experiences and all that I'm doing and not use it either in writing, you know, the books I've written for the nonfiction or even incorporating some things that I've learned into my fiction works as well. You know, some of that adventuresome type of thing. So... Or things that I've enjoyed or have liked. In fact, my very first book that I published um, in fiction actually were two hikers hiking in the White Mountains. So I even had, even though I hadn't done the AT back then in 97, um, it was just a catalyst for me to write about adventure and about what happened to them, you know, in a, uh, and it was called Mountaintop in a course of, you know, this particular story. So it's kind of interesting, but so I just believe, yeah, I totally agree that God is looking for those that are out of their comfort zones because they're trusting in him. You know, you in your comfort zone, you're trusting in yourself because you're keeping yourself comfortable. But if you step out and you don't have to step out like me, okay, I'm going to hike a you know, couple weeks just to sh- prove it. No, you can just step out of your house and walk over to the next door neighbor and say hello. You know, that's just um, that's stepping out right there. You know, so just the small things.
0: Well, and I do. can say maybe even smaller than that in some ways. I, I was thinking about the ways that people can be bold, and one of the subjects that has come up a, a fair amount is. We've had some introspection about why we do what we do as a publishing company uh, lately. Sort of looking back on the years, and we're never looking for stories of of the usual, right? We're never looking to uh, to publish the normal the normal type of thing. Like you know, our nonfiction is is about a crazy crazy hiker backpacker, not necessarily (laughs) you know seven steps to improve your prayer life or or some some regular thing. So, I mean, sometimes it can just be a I'm going to because I think a lot of people might be readers here, I'm going to pick up a book that's challenging to me or that makes me think and and be open to thinking differently. Um but you know, some some of the complaints and I, you've been doing this a long time. Um since 97, so you've been doing this longer than I have. Uh but some of the complaints about Christian fiction is that they're that it is just escape. It's about, you know, simpler times and the, that we aren't for some reason looking to challenge ourselves. And I don't think we set out to 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 be the antithesis of that, but just just the idea that if we try to find ways to challenge ourselves and to do and be more open to God, then, then you do go from maybe I'm reading a book to maybe I'm hyping, hiking the Appalachian Trail to maybe I'm a missionary to China. Uh, you know, there there could be a heck of a progression that, that God could be setting you up for. So,
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can definitely get, you know, just little, you know, I call them seeds. Anything that you're reading or experiencing are seeds that can be planted, that can be born into something bigger and something, you know, more fruitful, you know. So I took the seeds of books and journals and things that I read, about the Appalachian Trail and just let that feed me so that when it came time for me to do what I believe God had called me to do because I wanted to do it too that it it was born you know so you definitely want to use even you know the books you're you know cuz I write books also that for me are not just okay formulas you know for me they are a little bit out of the box you know I'll use kind of a little tagline that I've put in my uh, fiction writing that it's a roller coaster ride for the reader. You don't know what's going to happen. You know, I like to put a little twist in there, a little turn in there, but I usually like to have... A little adventure. Have... Yeah, also.
0: <laughs> Yeah, so maybe, I don't know if, how far you want to go into this, but maybe tell me a little bit about your fiction. How many books do you have in the in the fiction space right now?
1: Sure. I ha- I've published 30 books so, continue to write actually in fiction as well because I love a good story. So, I am um, always looking to write that next interesting, adventuresome, twisty, turny, as I call it, roller coaster ride, you know, type adventure. So, um, still looking for that, you know, because for me. I do the hiking and I do, you know, write about my hiking experience. But then I like to, of course, bring a reader into kind of an own adventure, too. And a lot that I'm learning, too, about our history, you know, it's amazing what our forefathers went through, you know, relatives, all that, you know, as far as founding the nation and what they had to endure, you know. And so I really enjoy bringing a lot of that to life. And so I've done a lot of work. In some contemporary, but a lot of historicals. Just from some of the stories I've learned and where I've gone, I'm a big traveler too. I like to travel to places. So, one time I went to Mammoth Cave, found out they had this tuberculosis hospital set up inside the cave to try to heal people from, you know, from this disease. And I said, "Wow, there's a setting for a story," you know. So I'm always got my eye out, you know, and that became um, into the deep. So there's always, you know, these little, you know places I go to where I'll see something fascinating about history and I'll want to write about it.
0: So it's fun. Yeah. So you said 37 books or 30, 30, 30. Books. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh that's pretty good. That's, that's more than one a year for, for a long career. So is that more than, am I getting that math right? Anyway.
1: Some yeah. of the books have actually been revised and then they're republished. So I have a couple that have been, have been put into like collections and like that, that have been reworked and like that. So that doesn't take
0: any less time.
1: Yeah. When you have to re-edit and all that, yeah. For a collection. So yeah.
0: Yep. I was just talking to Bonnie Leon about uh, her re-releasing a couple of books uh, not too long ago. She said, if I would have known how much work it was going to be, I would have just written something new.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Cause what you wrote 10 years ago, I mean, I'm talking about using the phone booth, you know, that doesn't happen anymore. It's all, you know, texting and cell phones and everything's changed. Especially if you do a contemporary language changes, everything, if you're going to, you know, which is probably why it's safer, at least to do more historical that way, you're not going to have to worry as much of the techno lingo type thing changes that may have to occur with re-releasing contemporary. So.
0: Yeah, you might get some some details wrong and some people might complain or will complain to you if you do, but it doesn't quite date it as badly as uh, as the phone booth, for sure. <laughs> and with that, I always worry because I see people, oh, you know, this person has a cell phone, and, and I think, oh, Lord, what's next? In 10 years, someone's <laughs> going to look back at the smartphone and go, oh, how quaint. Yeah. Uh- and
1: actually, it's a little scary, I think, in a way. You know, I think about, you know, how I grew up and what I did, and I'm seeing kids now, which is just a side point. Another reason why I do speaking about hiking, I want kids and adults to get out and hike and not sit in their homes and looking at their iPads or phones. And then they're just getting into all the techno and they're missing a lot. So I worry, you know, I worry about what that's going to look like. As you mentioned,
0: we worry and struggle against that too. I mean, I have two kids, 14 and 12, I guess now. And, uh, yeah, they're, uh, they like their their technology. It's designed to be something we like, uh, as opposed to going outside. Like, that's exciting and it's fun, but it's also hard and it's dirty and it's hot and it's cold. You know, so, you know, can I go inside where it's air conditioned and there's stuff that's going to just give me what I want all the time? Uh, that's uh, That's a hard thing to fight against.
1: That's why we got to get out of that comfort zone, right? Right on. <laughs> get out of that box.
0: Well, and what you mentioned about uh, history and all of that, and then going back to back all the way at the beginning when you said, oh, there's this place I can go and walk from Georgia to Maine without taking a car. It, it amazes me how much we've changed the way we look at the world of what, uh, uh, 100, 150 years ago only, I should say, 100 or 150 years ago, if you wanted to go to California, chances are walking was an option that you were going to consider. You might not own a wagon, you might not own a horse, but if you wanted to go to the California Gold Rush, chances are you might pick up from Virginia and walk to California. And that's a a pretty remarkable thought that people today, I'm not sure they would even consider themselves capable of that. They'd be like... Man, that's like a 28-hour car ride. <laughs> you know, they wouldn't necessarily even want to spend that much time in a car. They would want to fly, much less pick up and walk. But that connection with with our history, and not just, like, American history, but the history of the world. Like you said, the apostles got up and they walked from Jerusalem to Rome. That, that's a far piece. Um, so i'm gonna it's this is a, a rabbit hole but i was listening to um i guess it was like rick steve's europe um uh radio show one weekend anyway it doesn't matter why but they had these people who do these um pilgrimage hikes like uh in across spain and across italy and that kind of thing have you ever seen or heard of those and is that something you'd ever be interested in since you mentioned liking to travel and uh, and that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, uh, there is actually a trail that, that goes through Spain, actually trails through many different countries, New Zealand and Scotland and like that. But the Camino Trail is kind of like the pilgrimage. Yeah, that was what
0: I was thinking about, yeah.
1: Coming. Yeah, you know, there. that's the one thing as a hiker. I learn about so many trails out there and places I would love to go or experience. And then you wonder, okay, which one is... The hike i should do you know for the time and the money and like that that it would take to prepare and actually do it so uh that's but i think i mean i just went to scotland actually a couple months ago and actually loved it and i know there's some nice trails there and i may actually do a little bit of walking around in scotland because it just is a beautiful area but i think my heart and God's plan, I think, is more centered here in the U.S. with some of these beautiful trails. And I'm just continuing to look and see what would be my next really great adventure here here in our country.
0: So do you have any idea what that is? Any any preview of that? Or
1: Yeah, well, I always have something kind of churning and like that. So I'm hoping to do what's the longest national scenic trail in the system, which is actually called the North Country Trail. A lot of people... I actually, don't even really know about it, which is why it intrigues me because I like to do things that others really don't know and don't, you know, maybe need to know more about. So, this trail actually starts um, in New York by Lake Champlain and winds its way through the heart of New York State and then through Pennsylvania and Ohio and then up into Michigan and then across the Superior um, Trail into North Dakota. So, it's over 4,000 miles long. And wow. so, something churning in me. It's it's the longest, longest trail. So something I'm actually really considering, I grew up in New York, um, have a lot of relatives that still live in New York, and it'd be nice to hike New York State. Um, done some trails in New York, but the idea that this is a trail that actually would go through a state that I grew up would be interesting. And you know, have some good friends that live in some of the other states that the trail goes through. And so it would be definitely an interesting adventure. So it's kind of percolating there <laughs> along with other uh, trails I'd love to do. So.
0: You feel like uh, you're being called to be more and more ambitious as time goes by? Because that, that sounds like a ambitious one. Like, would you do it? How much of that could you do in the winter? that That sounds scary to me in, you know, in a way.
1: Well, this would probably take several years, absolutely, you know, um, because it's so long. So it's not something that you would consider doing one hike, continuous hike. Some have tried it, but very few have been able to do it, again, because, as you mentioned, the winter, you know, especially up in the... Dakotas. uh, Yeah. You know, you got Dakota, you know, the northern parts of Michigan and Wisconsin, absolutely, you know. So, and of course, mosquitoes, you know, (laughs) a lot of issues with bugs and like that. So... Definitely, this is a trail that you would need to plan as far as how much you could do and what time of year would work. So for me, I'm thinking more of a late summer fall type journey along the trail would probably work out the best as far as weather conditions, heat, humidity, and bugs, you know, looking at that situation too. So, um, but it would take, it would take a couple years to do
0: for sure. Awesome. So when you write about these things, do you tend to write more for... Uh, non hikers or hikers or people of faith or people not of faith, like, you know what? What are, who are you usually looking to touch? or are they different people? I know that that's a curveball and off from where we were just talking, but just... I hike.
1: Uh, yeah, I hike to experience it, but I write about my hikes for anybody that wants to enjoy a walk. You know, when I go speaking, I will tell everybody as we're getting ready for the. Um, presentation, I'll say, guess what? You get to listen to 4,000 miles and walk 4,000 miles of me in an hour and a half. So, for those that maybe aren't ever going to do a whole walk, maybe they're never going to experience the Florida Trail. You could experience it in the pages of a book, you know, in the comfort of your home, but you can still experience it and you can still be called to do something wild, you know, maybe it's not going to be a hike, but maybe something else. So, I, you know, definitely feel that these books that I write are for everybody. You know, the, the adventurer, the armchair reader that just wants to enjoy good travel, um, those that, you know, are seeking God, those that are seeking maybe something new in their lives, to those that are, you know, planted firmly in him, um, and see how somebody else lives a life of faith. You know, they're for everybody, just as the Bible is for everybody. You know, it's not just for you know, Christians that know him, but it's for those that are seeking. And I believe God's heart is for the seekers. And so just like you seek solitude on a trail, um, you seek solitude in his creation, his His word, you know, is there for you to seek as well and to learn of who he is.
0: So do you think that the, just thinking about uh, seekers, and usually if you're a seeker, there's a goal in mind, but with something like, Seeking God, that that goal can be a little bit amorphous. So, when uh, I'm going to ask, is it possible to make a, an analogy here? But do you think that there's a difference between just going for a walk in the woods and this very deliberate? I'm going to, you know, hike this trail uh, type of type of of situation, or is that is that question even clear? Like. Is there a difference between just going out and going for a walk and saying, I'm going to hike the length of the Appalachian Trail or the Florida Trail or this, uh, this Northern Trail I forgot the name of already? But, um, yeah, that's, you know, th- there's, it seems like one is very goal oriented and the other is sort of see what you see and find what you find.
1: Yeah, that, you know, a lot of times when hikers will start a trail, they're thinking about the goal. I'm going to get to Katahdin, which is the northern point of the Appalachian Trail or whatever. You know, they become goal oriented. I happen to be goal oriented. We have a saying, though, in hiker circles that it's not the destination. It's the journey. You know, it's the journey that we do and the things that we experience on that journey, you know, that become the most important, you know. I tell hikers, too, and this has happened to me, you can go and put your hand on that sign on Katahdin. And guess what? Nobody cares, really, that you did that. You know, nobody. You know, they're not going to care. It's not going to matter. What matters is what happens to you during that journey, you know, as you're walking, what you've experienced. And see, and those are the things that I'm saying, hey, when you're walking that journey, what? are you learning about yourself and about what you're seeing and about others? And it always points to the creator. It points to God. And that's what I bring out because especially for me as a goal-oriented person that just wants to hit that next part, it's not about that. It's about so much more, you know, dealing with fear, dealing with, maybe situations that you are trying to figure out. I mean, I go on walks just to figure out how to handle things on the home front, you know? And I get my best ideas when I'm clear out there in the woods, you know? How am I going to handle this next situation? What am I going to do? So I think we definitely are seekers when we're out there. And I don't care if a guy's got a goal of hitting Katahdin. It's a 2,000-mile journey, and you're going to figure out something in that journey. Absolutely.
0: (laughs) Well, and, but it does occur to me that if you don't have the goal of pulling it off, then it might be really difficult to actually learn something, because if you don't go with some sort of a goal, you might be really lazy or, you know, unintentional Maybe the the easiest way to put it, right? Like, if you say, I, I would love someday, this is the extreme of, I would love someday to go and do that hike, or... I think I'm going to go and do it one end to the other without stopping uh one may never do it and the other almost certainly will it may not be exactly what the intention was but uh they're, they're two very different things and the experience is going to be to be different
1: uh, oh absolutely I mean there that's why there's more section hikers and through hikers because people aren't going out there you know I believe everybody has a goal to do something when you go out, I mean, you you have something you're going to do, whether it's to find an answer or whether it's to experience something, you have some kind of goal in mind, you know, have something or you wouldn't, as you mentioned earlier, deal with the pain, the heat, the cold, the, you know, whatever, all those kind of negative that we feel sometimes experiences, maybe that you'll gain from being out in the woods, um, you know, that there is a, there is a reason you're going out there, you know, and it may be something clear that I plan on doing hundred miles and I'll finish it, or I'm going out there because I need help. You know, I talked to a couple once that had lost their house in a house fire and they had nothing else to do. They just decided to go out there and I could tell they were in pain and they were hurting. And so I could see that they're looking for the woods to try to help them in, in some of their pain, you know, so it's, It's not always the idea of you're going to finish something, but I believe every single person that goes out on a walk, there is some type of a goal in mind, whether small, medium, large, depending on what you think it is. But for most people, you know.
0: Yeah. It's actually funny because that's one of the reasons I've never understood. uh, Like people who go to the gym for exercise. I mean, maybe you do go to the gym. I, I, I don't know, but like if, if you just go to like lift weights and and meet some goals on paper, like to me that isn't the same thing as as going and doing something outside yourself. I'm not sure if there's a, a difference there, but um, I always likened it to, uh, you know, just going jogging or playing a sport. It, you know, there, at least there's there's some intentionality happening, and you know, there's there's a story occurring, I guess. Uh, when when you do it that way. So Well, know,
1: like, if you're in a yeah. gym, like I'm going to a gym now because I'm trying to recuperate from injuries. So from right. an accident. So I believe everybody there has a goal either. Maybe they're trying to lose weight. Maybe they're trying to recover from, you know, a heart attack. Um, maybe they're trying to get ready like I am overcoming an injury because they want to get out hiking again, you know, the way they did before um i believe they all have certain goals too you know and it it, you know for some people i don't know how they can stand there doing these exercises because i want to be out walking as an exercise that's what kind of what i mean yeah yeah but they do it anyway and so i guess it just shows the variety of you know the people that god made you know that you can get some that are content with their goal of I'm going to go do this, you know, motion on this stair stepper for 20 minutes watching TV just so I can make a goal in my life, whereas you have somebody walking in the woods for a half an hour hitting a mountaintop, you know? It's it's interesting.
0: Yeah, I'd like to think I that the walking through the woods to, to get to a mountaintop is is objectively better somehow. Maybe that's just me being judgmental of the person on the stair stepper watching TV. <laughs> i don't know it seems like there's more uh there's more intrinsic virtue to that but maybe not you know maybe intention matters more i'm trying to think of where we should go next because i know you had we had these uh these sort of free writing questions that i they introduced you to and you had some really interesting answers to to the the one about feeling most alive and then you added some others so i don't know if you would want to to dig into any of those um any sure. of those questions.
1: Sure. Um I can definitely, yeah, because I've got I feel most alive when and I love to spend my time. Um I've answered those. And then we actually I actually touched on a couple of them already. Some of the Yeah, questions. I thought so. Yeah. <laughs> we <laughs> we've done it naturally, so there. that's worked
0: out. Um Yeah, but I I think that sometimes it's good to actually present questions like these uh, out for the listeners so that they can maybe start to take stock for themselves and and start to ask questions like, you know, uh, one of the things that we talked about when I talked with Rosanna was, um, you know, when you read this book, what is it challenging you to do? And, you know, your books might challenge somebody to actually go take that hike that they've been planning to do, or it might encourage them to do something totally different, so... Mm -hmm. You know, some of these questions, like I feel most alive when I'm, you know, X, Y, or Z, like these are things that people don't necessarily always think about. So I I would really encourage encourage anyone listening to to think about some of these things we're talking about and think, what is God asking me to do? But so I'll, I'll turn that over to you and and how you answer those questions too.
1: Absolutely. Well, the question of I feel most alive when, and of course, the first thing that comes into my mind is. Well, taking my walk in the woods, you know, taking those long hikes, you know, I don't want to be sitting around, you know, staring at four walls, you know, getting lost in all the stuff we're seeing in news and everything, which can be very depressing and demoralizing. I want to be out there. I want to feel alive because I feel alive in the woods. And... I just want to share a little bit about that because I was thinking about it and writing about that, you know, what it means to be alive. And I live right near Shenandoah National Park. And so I'm starting to get interested in the people that lived in the mountains before the park came into being. So you'll be walking some of the trails in this beautiful park, and then you'll stumble upon a place where people used to live. There will be a foundation of a house, an old chimney standing there. There will be some pots buried in the leaves. You may even see a tombstone. Some of them are babies, and suddenly all the joy of being out there and feeling alive—you know—in the woods suddenly comes back to a stark reality that there were people that lived here, there were people that had dreams, they had goals, they wanted to live, you know, and they were living. And then suddenly they were told, "You have to go, so we can build this park," you know. And suddenly that's coming back to me that the place that I wanted to be alive in people gave up so I could be alive, you know? And suddenly you're seeing, hey, maybe alive means sacrifice. You know, there's a sacrifice here. And it was really speaking to me. And so I'm becoming a little more of that history hunter as I'm out walking now. But I'm realizing, too, that I'm trying to understand those that came before me and the sacrifices they did make so that maybe I can be alive today. So it was a very interesting um, way to look at what I thought would be a very simple question to answer and how thoughtful and in-depth it became. So, yeah. So um,
0: I, I didn't realize we would go in the direction of, of anything like sacrifice today, but, uh, and, and you mentioned what the, the world is like and, you know, in contrast to the simplicity of going out on the trail and then you see that maybe it's not as, as simple as you wanted it to be. So, one of the things that i've lamented lately and again i can be overly judgmental it's something i'm working on but is that i i don't know that people today really want to sacrifice a whole whole lot you know the idea of i can have it all is uh is something that you know i've heard since i was a kid you know i want you know parents want their kids to have better than they did and you know people want to have their careers and their families and their vacations and and all of this so the idea of sacrifices is a bit foreign, I guess, to to a lot of people today. I don't know if that's something that that I would want that you would want to speak to or if you just say, "Nope, you're just judgmental. People will be willing to sacrifice in the right circumstances or." Yeah. I I hate to even put someone in the middle of a semi-political soci- sociological question, but it's it's interesting.
1: Well, I'll tell you when I, you know, doing all the trails that I've done and the many miles, I've actually seen, we call them trail angels, but I've seen actually people that absolutely have sacrificed or they offer a sacrifice. I talk about one little instance in my Florida trail book, Gators, Guts and Glory, that I'm walking along, you know. I've done like, I think I did about a 20 miler that day, walked into town and stopped at a Wendy's to get something to eat. And as I'm exiting out the restaurant, here comes this worker scurrying up to me. She had just gotten off her work in Wendy's and said here, you know, and she's digging in her bag and she takes out a $20 bill to give me. And I'm like, you know, and she just said, well, you know, here. And I said, I'm okay. You know, I'm just walking a trail. You know, I know there's people that need it more than I do. And she's like, are you sure? And I said, yeah. And we just talked some about the trail and I thanked her so much for her, her kindness. But here was somebody that, you know, is not making much at this job that was going to give me 20 bucks. What's that? A couple hours at Wendy's.
0: Maybe three, (laughs) three, four hours after taxes. Yeah.
1: It was amazing. And I realize that again, you know, going back to the idea of sacrifice, when you're out there walking in the woods, it's not about you and what you're seeing, but you're starting to see the people around you and what they're doing. You know, I mean, you get people to go out and they'll maintain trails or people to enjoy for free. I mean, they're not out there being paid. They're called They're volunteers. They're out there and they clear the trails and they take care of them so we can enjoy them. You know, they're sacrificing so much of their own time to make sure that it looks good for you, you know. So you have that and it's amazing. one
0: One of the other things that I still remember about your book is all the people that you run into. And I know they come in and out. But I feel like that there is this intrinsic idea that if you're 20 miles from a town, that you're going to help each other, right? Like there's no... There's no Republicans and Democrats. There's no, you know, Christians and atheists. Like, you're all sort of in this thing together.
1: Oh, absolutely. You're, You're called the hiker. We call it the hiker family. And I've been to a lot of hiker gatherings and I have a lot of close friends that are solid, you know, progressive Democrat, you know, and that's their viewpoint. And they know that I tend to lead a little more on the conservative part as being, you know, more of the one of those, you know, wild Christian types. But you know what? We have a love of the trail. We have a love for each other. And, you know, those kind of little labels that everybody likes to stick on you, like it's something you need to put on your forehead, you know, disappears. You know, we all become, you know, a family on the trail and we all talk and we all want to help each other. And I've had people, you know, help me out of the goodness of their hearts. They invite me into their home, you know, and I'm dirty and yucky and they want to feed me and take care of me and do up my dirty laundry. And it's, amazing
0: and humbling I think probably in yes. an awful lot of ways
1: <laughs> very
0: that, it's actually funny because listening to the description of the the Camino trail it, I think that one's the one in Spain right. what yeah. what got me was the, the those kinds of discussions about how you'll be invited into monasteries and you know uh, there are special rates at all the hotels along the way for people who are doing the who are doing the hike and I think how sort of humbling must it be to be like, well, I'm going to go sleep with, with 20 other, other hikers and I'm going to, you know, they lay out this great meal every evening for, for anyone who comes through. Like, you know, and maybe it's an American idea, but I'm, I'm kind of with you. Like, well, or maybe not with you. Maybe you're different from this, but just the image you have of, I'm going to walk to Wendy's at the end of it, right? Like, I'm going to go buy my food because this is what we do. We're, you know, we're independent and, uh, self-sufficient, and sometimes I wonder if we need to realize that that's not always the case, and and humility is a big part of that.
1: Oh, absolutely! I mean, hikers are like, you know, okay, I got my backpack, I'm walking along here, carrying my backpack, getting from A to B. Look at me, and then you get into a point where you're in a crisis, and suddenly the weather's turned. It's very cold. Well, case in point, my son and I got stuck at a barn. I talk about this in Mountains as a miracle. We got stuck in a barn for two days, and our food, we had none. We had no food because we couldn't exit. The weather was so bad, and it was a little poor planning on my part that I didn't have extra food with me. But here we had hikers that came to our rescue. You know, they cooked food for us. They helped us out, you know. There's nothing like hearing your 16-year-old telling you, Mom, I'm hungry, and you don't have food for them, you know. So, <laughs> That was extremely humbling, you know, when you have hikers that, you know, they're taking out their own food bags to feed you, you know, and it just taught me a lot, you know, tells me so much about humanity out there. And it's, hey, everybody, it's not all bad that you're seeing in the news. There's so many good people out there. There's people that want to help you. There's neighbors. There's good Samaritans. They're out there, you know, don't believe what you see or hear. Get away from it. (laughs)
0: Well, and that's why I really like this idea of going out. Even you know, even something so simple as I'm just going to go out and hike is it's practical. And it, as opposed to just you know me talking about it or someone writing a blog post about it, I'll point my finger at myself for a minute. Like, yeah, we do need to go out and figure out that there is more to life than excuse me, than than what's presented to us on you know what, what we get sold on a daily basis and. Well, <laughs> that's funny because all you got to do is walk outside and see it. Absolutely. So, so uh, you said you did a couple of other questions and then I'm really interested in the ones you, you wrote for yourself and, and why you wrote those. So.
1: Okay. Um, well, I have one here is I love to spend my time doing what? And of course, I'll say hey, I do like to hike. I like to walk a trail. I like to just smell the woods and see a view and challenge myself and, you know, see that nice stream that ends up in a waterfall. And then suddenly I'll start thinking a little bit beyond that when I think that water is ending up at the Atlantic Ocean. Oh, wow. You know, that's amazing to me. And then suddenly I'm seeing things about the world that I, it's not just what I'm seeing, but it's starting to expand a little bit more. And I got to thinking, too, that it's not only just being in the woods, per se, but I took an adventure, actually, with my husband to England. And that was my roots from my mom's side of the family and experienced some of English history. And, of course, you can say, oh, that's kind of, you know, a little more man-made. You're starting to see, you know, old cathedrals or the Tower of London or things like that. But for me, it was just an amazing experience to see what God was doing through history and how he used England, England and English history and then formed this nation, you know, and, you know, was the blood of our country and, you know, where I came from. And suddenly I'm learning a lot more that I love to spend my time yeah, I like to spend my time in the woods, but I also like to spend my time thinking and pondering and suddenly saying, hey, there's a lot more to what I'm just seeing than meets the eye. You know, it goes beyond that eye, that vision, into much more of a spiritual and, you know, vision of, oh, where did I come from? What's happening? And I found that interesting.
0: Yeah, that that reflection and connection with other people and the fact that you looked at it as a connection to other people, but also through God. Like, I think it's easy. But um, I think about things like the the cathedral, right? Where I, sometimes I try to imagine things like a person spent hours chiseling this piece of rock, right? And I'm sitting here looking at it and millions of other, maybe not millions, but potentially hundreds, thousands, an awful lot of people have also come and and looked at this and experienced this. And, and then... It's, I mean, maybe if you're not a person of faith, it isn't hard. But for me, it's hard not to look at it and, and imagine that step beyond of, all right, and God's always there and he's in all all things all the time. So that, that universal connection is pretty remarkable.
1: Well, yeah, just the ingenuity of man to make these wondrous buildings, even to today where, you know, they're now thinking about traveling to Mars, I guess. And, you know, I mean, and, you know, we've done the space travel and things, but I mean, the ingenuity of man is absolutely incredible and it's amazing, you know, and of course we're seeing just the changes with technology every day, things change. So it's, you know, you wonder how did this come about? You know, it's, yeah, it's, it's mind boggling really.
0: Yeah. If you're open to it, these fundamental questions of life come up over and over again in different ways and give you different nuance. And, um, you know, I think that that's the kind of thing that make you a better writer. I, I, we haven't talked much about writing here since the beginning when we talked about the books, but being able to add that nuance in different places is, uh, well, I, I think it's fundamentally important. I know, uh, you know, I was talking to Camille Eide on the very first of these podcasts and, uh, she's a little bit down on herself for being like too too self-absorbed and and self-reflective like it, when she was talking about it, she's like boy that that seems awfully self-centered but taking the time to to really understand and think through these questions is i guess is only self-absorbed and self-reflective if you don't put that back out in some way and as a as a writer as a speaker as a person who blogs about this and encourages people i think that uh that there's there's something remarkable to that and maybe you don't want to honk your own horn too much but you know not not letting it all just come into you but to actually put it back out in the world is uh is remarkable and also sort of an act of humility right like you could just go and enjoy the time and it be an experience and that be just for you uh, i've heard i've heard people say like that that that's just for me i'm not going to share that was curious about your other your other questions that that you sort of came up with on your own.
1: Well, we touched on the the ridiculousness. So we touched on that. We touched on, I talked about scared, you know? And so the last one is what have these adventures done for me spiritually? So I talk about that too. And I just talk about how, when I go out there, I'm basically putting myself on a limb in many ways, because when you're taking, especially when you're out for several days or weeks and you're backpacking, you have no, you have no control of the weather. A lot of times you do not know if you're going to trip and fall. You don't know what's going to happen with certain, certain situations. I mean, I've been cold, I've been hot, I've had different types of, you know, I've been bitten by the Japanese hornet and had my legs swell up on the foothills trail. I've had all kinds of things happen to me. So you really make yourself vulnerable in ways. And the interesting thing is, is I take that as a way for me to see how God is going to move on, you know, for me and show his love in ways that maybe I can't see when I'm sitting on the home front, you know, in my comfort zone, whatever. But so that's why I love the hike because I like to just see, see what God does, you know, and bring me into a deeper relationship with Him when I'm out there in these areas that, you know, I do not have any control over because, honestly, I'm a control freak. I want to control everything, you know, my gal I'm talking with right now says you are really controlling at times and I'm like yeah you know and so maybe I do need to take these walks to realize I can't really be in control even if I may have a goal in mind you have no idea if you're going to make that goal you know
0: (laughs) and not much control over it when it comes right down to it
1: (laughs) no there's no control and so it's a good um I don't know, I put God as like the lion of the tribe of Judah taming me. You know, you think of the lion tamer taming the lion. Well, he's the lion taming me out there in this wild place, you know, and taming my spirit to rest in him, even in a wild situation, you know. You need you need to find rest, you know, and peace. You know, people are always finding wanting to find peace. I think a lot of goals is for people is that they just want some peace, you know, it's everything's so crazy, hectic going here, going there, you know, the news, all kinds of stuff. They just want peace. They want rest.
0: Yeah. Rest the world's complicated. Yeah. Complicated and busy. So I've actually been called out though in, in thinking that way before, particularly from people, the church that like, I'm, I'm, I'm tempting uh, when, you know, you go out like just this idea that you would go out and, and put yourself on the line for no particular purpose. You know, I, people said, oh, that's reckless or that's, you know, that's um, tempting God or tempting fate or, or something like that.
1: Well, there's and, a song out now about being reckless. You know, I I'm I sang it. I don't sing. You're not going to hear me sing. Believe me, you don't want to hear that.
0: <laughs> we, we can put links to it in the in the show notes if you uh, <laughs> remind me what it is, you know, or I'll, I'll make a note of it when I edit. Yeah,
1: so. there's a, a good Christian song right now. Yeah, that's kind of hot about being reckless and what that means. Yeah. Um, that you, well, again, it's, I, I think that's where some of our judgmental, you know, looking over the spectacle kind of thing comes in and that being reckless, but I mean, aren't we all in many of the things that we do whenever you step into a car, aren't you, does that mean you're reckless because you don't know what's going to happen the next intersection? You know, what is the difference between that and me stepping on a trail?
0: You, you well, really have people no would say that they're really in control in their car, you know?
1: Um, uh, uh, I've been in several <laughs> issues. That's not true. <laughs> Well, or not
0: <laughs> well, but it's funny the the image that that you do have. Like, um, I have uh, acquaintances. I won't say whether they're friends or family or or what they are, but they will take chances in cars that I would never do. You know, oh, it's uh, it's snowing. I'm going to. But we had plans to go out to dinner. We're still going to go out to dinner, and I would say well, that's needlessly reckless to. You know, just to go out to dinner and drive in the snow, even if you're great at it. This is what I always tell people: even if you're great at driving in the snow, the people around you are are probably not. So, but the, the sense that I I'm in control is is kind of is kind of a silly one, right? Like,
1: well, let me give you an example on the Florida Trail of where there's reckless and there's you know understanding that you need to change plans too. So I was out on, a, on the trail and in a pretty bad rainstorm. In fact, the, uh, the lady that dropped me off said, Are you, should you really be out there in all this rain and everything? You know, It's pretty bad. And I said, oh, I'm just going to go for it. I'm used to hiking in rain. The thing you don't get used to is you're in an electrical storm and you've got lightning hitting the poles above you and sparks flying and everything. You know, And even that was very scary for me. But what got real scary is I stopped before the stream that normally is just a trickling thing. And suddenly it's a raging river. And I tested it with my hiking pole and found out it was probably at least hip deep. You know, as so cool. you're talking about a flooding, you know, flash flood situation on the trail. And so I said, OK, I could try to do it and keep going or I could get off. And circle around it so you know hikers should be prepared with you know some type of map or if you have a map on your on your phone to figure out what to do in these type of you know this is a life-threatening situation and so I decided to head back to the road go cut through the woods which I could with my phone because I had a map on on the phone and headed back out to the road and headed to town there and called her and said come pick me up I'm done for the day (laughs) And so absolutely there are times on a trail that a hike can become dangerous and you're putting your life, you know, at stake. And, there, you know, God gives you wisdom, too, you know, in situations. He doesn't want you to just say, okay, you know, I'm going to be a Gideon. Flow, throw the fleece and see what happens. Okay, God, come, you know, or um, I heard a friend say once that, you know, they had somebody challenge God to light a burning bush like Moses. You know, you're not – you don't want to test God like that. Yeah,
0: it, it can't be pointless to too, right? Like yeah. just because you know, I want to see it. What's no, you're not, stake?
1: you don't want to, you don't want to test like that. You're, you're that, that's that is a recklessness that goes, you know, it's actually pride in a way and you're challenging God. And who are you? You're the, you know, you're the pot he's fashioning. He's the potter. You know, you don't, don't do yeah. things like that. <laughs>
0: So yeah, don't I, don't challenge God and his sovereignty, <laughs> but maybe challenge God to do something for you in your life so you can do something for him. Yeah, so the pride versus humility in challenging God is or not challenge in in testing, I guess. Like, yeah,
1: what is your reasoning? Is my reason to out in a trail because I just I just wanna meet him and, and see what he see what he does to strengthen my faith in him and like that. Or are you out there to just start testing, you know, and it's more of a, you know, pride reaction. So at that day, though, there was no pride involved. I said, I'm out of (laughs) here for the day. Come rescue me. (laughs) There are definitely times on the trail that I needed to be rescued. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, it's not all heroism or go for it or, you know, whatever, but (laughs) we're not showing a video, but I would be flexing muscle. It's not all about that. You know, it's never about that really.
0: And that's just sort of life too, right? Like we always need, everyone needs to be rescued at some point or another. Um, You know, I think sometimes again, I think the modern world and all of the busyness and everybody expecting everyone to sort of be that self-sufficient person, sometimes we don't even recognize when people need uh, need rescuing. You know, again, thinking back to people like the one that took you there or, you know, some of the, uh, you know, the people who helped you and your son when you ran out of food. Like, th- there's a recognition that, oh, people do need help. Uh, you know, not to be too, downer or modern, but someone was asking the other day, there was a compar- comparison between the opioid crisis in America today and the crack cocaine crisis in the 80s and 90s, and how much bigger the current one is than, than that one, but why does anyone care? And I th- I think that it came down to the recognition of that as a problem. Like Sometimes we hide our problems, or we don't want to see them, or you know, I think that's a kind of pride too, right? Like, I really need help, but uh, I I know I have to be this way. And, you know, it's wrong for us to reach out to someone when, <laughs> when, when they're failing. Like, because, yeah. So I guess what I really love about the hiking and the experience and everything that you write about is how applicable it really is to To life, if you're willing to to think about it like that and and live an analogy or an allegory or or something like that, like there, yeah. And again, I don't know if that's your intention, but it there, there are certain things that stick with you.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, my hikes again become a story, you know, to tell. And even if it's my books are quote nonfiction, there's still a story in there of a hiker on a journey and the experiences and there are takeaway values absolutely from all those experiences. Just as I would write when I write, you know, my fiction books, you know, which a lot of them are based on my own personal real life experiences. The one I just got published um, is in Uh, takes place during World War II with, you know, a young woman that wants to do something important in her life as her brother goes off to war and decides to arrange for um, a committee for victory gardens. And I love gardening. You know, I like the feel of watching plants come up and know that you grew them and, um, you know, having fresh vegetables. And so a part of me is in there because I talk about gardening and how much gardening brings me closer to God just with the fruit of the earth. So, there's always a part of my experiences, too, that I will put into those stories as well. And it's important, you know, there, you know, whether it's uh, the nonfiction with the hike or the fiction, too. They're all a story. And just like the Bible itself is a story for us, you know, that's real life. But it's still a story about God's love for mankind and wanting um, us to be with him forever. You know, it's that love story.
0: Yeah, one of the things. I mean, we actually in some of these interviews, we we've been a little bit down on nonfiction, but I think that this is not that kind of nonfiction. I think maybe you might say uh, anything that's not sort of storytelling, right? Because when you tell a story, when you read a book about some someone, whether they're real or or uh, or, or a character, is that you sort of get into the, the mind and, and spirit of a person who you may not understand and that builds empathy and, and it changes the way that you think. And uh, I mean, that's, that's sort of, sort of what we're all about, right? Like how, how can we, how can we help change people for the better? Um, Well, absolutely.
1: You know, and I hope, I hope the idea that, okay, it's under the label of nonfiction. That means okay, it's going to be somebody telling me what to think and what to do. And that's the way it is. And I'm hoping we might be able to reclassify it at times to maybe adventure or (laughs) something like that, you know, so that it's not the idea of this is somebody that's going to tell me I need to do A, B, C, and D, but it's actually a story of somebody's adventure and what they drew from it and the lessons learned from that. So
0: yeah, that that branding and how you connect with with readers is so hard sometimes because it it is sometimes about managing expectations. Um, with nonfiction, there is a, a certain expectation that it's it's self help or right. or something like that. And, or with fiction, it's just oh, it's just escapism and storytelling. And uh, you know, the truth is the best the best stories, the best books are always all over that spectrum I think I mean you, you write historical so ideally you probably tell some uh you know th- there's some there's some history in there I mean that's that's baked into the name um but oh, you do absolutely. it in
1: a mm-hmm. yeah
0: but I'm sure you do it in a way that is actually more interesting than facts and dates and figures like I'm always amazed at at authors who write historicals because you have these massive charts of what happened on these dates and you know, it's like reads like a history book in your notes, but when you're reading it, no one cares. <laughs> so you're, you're so careful to get the details, right. Um, but, but yeah, that in the end, that's not the truth that you're looking to tell.
1: Well, like I'm writing a, well, actually I'm revising it now, but writing a fictional account of the people that lived in Shenandoah national park before it became a park. So I had to do a lot of research as far as how that all came into being, you know, there was a lot of legislation efforts and other things, but then create a kind of a fictional world around that. And so, absolutely, especially for historical fiction, you'd have the facts, you have that nonfiction element, but then you're creating the story around that and incorporating so that. And I enjoy doing this where I can tell history, but telling in an entertaining way through you know, a fiction, fictional retelling of those events. And you can learn some history, but still enjoy a story too. And, you know, go in with the characters and maybe learn too from that retelling, maybe what they went through, you know, some of those feelings and emotions of actual people that lived. So that's been an interesting um, journey for me with writing that particular
0: book too. Yeah, and with that book, it seems like, because you're so close to it, because it's been a part of your identity as a hiker and as a person from that area, like there must be a certain sense of, uh, owing it to, to those people to tell that story and, and tell their story, whether they're real people, you know, they are real people, but the ones you use, whether they're the real ones or not, I don't know which way you, you choose to go on that, but to tell that in a true way that, that people can come to understand like what that sacrifice was like.
1: Right. Absolutely. And I mean, I was out walking one of the trails in Shenandoah and there was a a mountaineer's home site. And right near there, I found pieces to a shoe, you know, leather left there. And I thought about the person who wore that shoe, what they endured. And it happened to be in an area that was actually a number of poor mountaineers lived there. It was a very rocky area, not able to do a lot of farming, um, taming the land really there. So, I have a part of my book that actually talks about the people that live there. And so it kind of brought me back to realizing, yeah, you know, I may be doing a fictional recount, but these are actual people with, you know, that wore that shoe and live there, you know, and do them justice, you know, and it's, that's been a very, very moving, moving thing for me, very moving experience to do the retelling.
0: Do you have any takeaway that you would like the listeners to have or anything that you would like to see the listeners do as a result of listening to this interview today?
1: Hey, take a walk, even if it's just a neighborhood, you know, even if it's a nature path near your home or take a regular walk, if you know, in the state park or woods and let me know.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so let Laurel know, let us know if you've gone out and done it what your experience was like do you you want to do more was it too hot (laughs) (laughs) what did
1: God show you (laughs) did God say anything did he speak to you or does it bring an idea that maybe I could do something different with my life or maybe something more adventuresome or hikers maybe this means that you get to do a long distance hike somewhere you never know
0: Thank you for joining us today for our talk with Laura Lee Bliss on the special crossover episode with her podcast, Blissful Hiking Adventures. For more information about Laura Lee or her podcast, please check out the show notes at whitefire.tv slash unexpressed for links to her website, blog, social media, books, and of course, the podcast where she'll be discussing hiking and finding God along the way. And also don't forget to take a walk, whether it's just through the neighborhood or out into the mountains, and let us know what the experience was like. Did God show you anything along the way? This podcast is sponsored by Read Whitefire. There you can read the first two chapters of any Whitefire Publishing Group company's books. And if you like what you read, they're available for purchase in print format as well as electronic formats for all the most popular e-readers. Some books even have signed copies available. And if you're a listener of this podcast, there's a chance you're a good candidate for Platy People, our membership program for unique readers. For just $5 a month or $50 a year, Platy People members get to choose two free books per month, a free novella, 15% off all purchases, including gift certificates, and free shipping to U.S. addresses. Why choose ordinary when you can read extraordinary? Unexpressed is part of the Whitefire Podcast Network. Please visit whitefire.tv slash podcast to find other shows we know you're going to love.